Hey everybody, I just want to let you know, um, we had a bit of an issue with our recording this week, so we had to use a different platform, so some of the sound quality is not quite up to the snuff that we've caught up with, but hopefully you still enjoy us uh, riffing about part six of Death Masks, the finale. Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back with today's Yay. episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. Woohoo! I'm an old Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together we chop it up, grind it up, and make the... Dresden podcast sausage, y'all know and love. <laughs> How are you today, Lissy? I'm wonderful. Oh, absolutely goodness. wonderful. Isn't she though? Isn't she just that, folks? <laughs> I am delighted to be here. This is the doing? final chunk of Death Masks. Oh my goodness, I am great. I had an interesting, okay, fine, mediocre weekend as far as water polo. But I also got to fangirl out because my team beat an absolute legend of water polo coaching this weekend. So I was just sitting there like, beating Ernie Burgess, uh, which was fun. That's the, exciting. Uh, all-time CIF record record holder for section championships in California. Um, he's coaching a new team out in Hawaii. And, oh. uh, but it was still fun. The little, still yeah. little things in life. And then uh, beyond that. I got to hang out with a legend in Dresden Files podcasting today. So I tell you what, <laughs> my life is fulfilled. Who's that? <laughs> Check that mirror, baby. But yeah, life is good. Life is good. Awesome. Like I said, this is the uh, most craziest weekend of my uh, year coming up here with national championships. So I'm going to bring a laptop and maybe have to do some editing in between stuff. But we're heading up Friday. And my goodness gracious. It's one of those things where you love the kids, you love the group, you love the season, but as you get to the end, it's nice to see the uh, soothing light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> at the end of the tunnel, where where is where are um, where is the championships at? Uh, in and around Irvine. We're starting. In, oh, not in too bad. Irvine uh, this weekend, and hopefully, the, generally speaking, the the better you do, the closer you stay to the hub. <laughs> so the which closer, is nice. Which is Irvine. So the closer we are to Irvine most of the weekend, the, the better things are. We have, like I've said before, a pretty good team. I have us at the number 23 team in the country. So we would certainly be a dark horse to finish up in that uh, top. Hey, hey Aaron, but, you know, that's why they play the games. So we exactly. show up. We also, quite frankly, could finish anywhere from first to 48th and it wouldn't really be that surprising <laughs> there are 48 teams in the tournament but um i'm excited to get after it so it sounds very exciting joshy on that we finished up another dresden novel here put the nail in the old dreads coffin as they say in the business mm -hmm. um it's an old podcasting term what uh what'd you think Liz? i 
liked it. Um, I have some very uh, interesting some thoughts. Thoughts. Let's just say. <laughs> I believe um, some of them are very kind of out there. Um, and oh, those are my favorite kind. And <laughs> and some of them are just kind of like trying to see the uh, forest for the trees. I thought you said the force for the trees for a second there, and my brain yes, is too dumb yes. to fix it. <laughs> the the so force for like, the trees. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm okay with the list. You, you figure out what the force does to those trees. <laughs> There's a new Ahsoka trailer out today, which looks Ooh. so badass and raises some very interesting questions about Sabine. Gotta love it. Oh, raises some very interesting questions about Sabine. Sometimes I get like all giddy and I say, Ooh! <laughs> and it doesn't come out at all on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <sighs> Absolutely fantastic. I get, I get far too excited. But that's all right. Beyond that, you want to catch us up to where we at, and I will hammer home you betcha. chapter 29. All right. So we learned that the Father Vincent that we know is not Father Vincent. He's a bad guy who's working with Nicodemus. Uh, Shiro has been taken prisoner, I guess, by Nicodemus in exchange for Harry. I almost said for exchange for Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> in exchange for Harry and he is getting ready to rock and roll with the duel, which is set to play, take place at Wrigley field. All right. So we're back at Harry's apartment. He gives Murph a call on her cell phone. I like that. He says, I used simple sentences, <laughs> told her everything <laughs> yeah. so that a, because he's describing everything to Murphy, which has been a point of contention in their mm-hmm. relationship throughout the you know the history of this novels, this novel series, I guess is mm-hmm. how people say things. But also because of how damaging he is to technology, he has to keep it really slow and simple and calm, so he doesn't blow her phone up. Exactly, which I just thought was a fun double, double leaning there. Oh yeah. And he explains what the Denarians are trying to do. They're trying to use the Shroud of Turin to. You put a curse basically on all of Chicago that will do to them what they did to Father Vincent, the real Father Vincent's body Mm -hmm. with all the plagues and the sicknesses and stuff and basically just gross. All the bad stuff. Gross on murder. (laughs) And so Rudolph, I guess, put out a, it's not a warrant, but it's, they're coming to arrest him. They want to talk to him. Yeah, he's a person of interest. They want him for questioning. But she, the way she phrased it, she said, they're coming to arrest you. Yes. But there's no warrant. So he could just so, lock the door. That's the thing. where It's an interesting kind of, they're looking for him, but. So as a, are you, you're not currently law enforcement technically, right? No. You were. But as a former law enforcement person, um, it's the same job, just you dribble across county lines and you're now you're a shooting guard instead of a point guard. Um, <laughs> what is that a thing? Can you be, a- well, you can, you can arrest someone with probable cause. Mm-hmm. And in this, I believe state of, the state of California, you can hold somebody. I believe it's for 24 hours yeah, without and, charging. And they them. said that in Missouri, they were holding the other two, but I'm not worried about necessarily. I guess, I mean, I literally am asking about the minutia, but yes, you can arrest someone with probable cause without a warrant. But if you have probable cause, you don't need a warrant, I guess, to go into some right? Correct. But you also, you can detain someone yeah, that without probable cause. You can, detain, you can cause. detain someone for any reason, basically. Yes. Which is 
part of the whole a cab. And thing. detaining someone means that they are free to go. No. Yes. No. If you detain someone, it's what it, it, because if you don't. No, being detained means you. That's what detained means. You detention, detention, detained. You can't. You can't go if you're being detained. But they haven't arrested you, so sure. you can peace no, no, out. No, no, no. There's a but. There's there is a middle ground. This one I know because I okay. need to know things as the things I get up to versus the things you get up to. Good point. Good point. I also the the other thing too is that I'm not. I was law enforcement in a specialized investigative way, oh, yeah. not in a arresting people. And even in my field, again, this is the state of California. I didn't have to get a search warrant to search a house if, it, if it's related to cause and manner of death. So I can go through a house as long as I'm looking for something that is part of my job, which is cause and manner of death, next of kin or identification. Oh, so yeah, and that's most law enforcement agents, agents actually never knew that. Um, when we would have like narcs guys and stuff come out for drug overdoses and they'd be like, well, we got it. We're, you know, we're writing paper. I said, well, if it's due to cause and manner of death, I can look. You, you can't. You stay here. I'll go in. Yeah. And that's the thing where it was just like, I can, my that's access is different. It was very different than, than your um, typical law enforcement, because as long as it's relating to the five duties of de- deputy coroner, um, then the moral of the story, as always, the bill of rights, they're more like guidelines. More like guidelines. Well, and if someone's dead, the constitution doesn't apply. Technically. Well, are they persons still? I don't know. Because all person persons is. within the jurisdiction of the United States of America get rights. I don't know. Um, there's a, I don't know if they're persons anymore. Uh, that's interesting. There are, um, there are you but, know, you laws know, applying to the body. But, oh, yeah. No, yeah. I know. And there, you know but no, that's, that's a good question, though. Right, there, are, are so, there also are rights to your personal integrity, your bodily um, autonomy, even autonomy, after yeah. you're dead, with respect to whether or not you're an organ donor, right? Yes, and that's but if you are a donor on your license, that's first person donor, and you, they don't have to get the permission from next of kin. Oh yeah, but they do. That's one of the things because we deal with donor um, mm-hmm. up here. It's Donor Network down south. That's one legacy where they're organ and tissue procurement companies, and um, they do have to identify the person though. The person's identity has to be confirmed, and that's one of those um, things that they always get annoyed with us. But it's like, well, no, they have to be. ID has to be confirmed. Does it matter if they're a first person donor or not? Interesting. And in order to violate a first person donor, like if family members like decide they don't want them to be a donor, you have to get a court order. What uh, what was the woman in Florida that uh, please clap? Governor Jeb had uh, it was a it was she had a uh, her husband wanted to pull her plug because she was mm-hmm. brain dead. What was that woman's yeah. name? I don't recall. I understand. I remember the case. It was a really, there. really big to do and kind of still resonates. But either way, you can absolutely yeah. be detained where you can't leave. We can't leave. Interesting. And then <laughs> you can be but detained. But they don't have to read. Do they have to read your, your Miranda at that point? No, not until you're arrested. Okay. And I have both. I have been detained a number of times, arrested a couple times, yes. a fair few. But, uh, <laughs> and then detentions can obviously be turned into it arrests and when, they do, arrest, yeah. when they do that that's when they have to mirandize as they say um was that miranda the city of miranda there no was that it was a miranda was the human yes I just wasn't sure who they were i believe it was state of arizona versus miranda probably would have been the other way right oh. well the initial court case was state of state of i believe i'm pretty sure it was arizona yeah no i know it was that's why i was i was actually yeah. thinking Miranda. 
is the city I was ah. thinking maybe it was. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, it's definitely Miranda. Sorry, it was. it is Miranda versus the state of Arizona. You were right. It was backwards. I've always been more of a Carrie Wrights kind of guy personally, but. Ah. That was You're that. such a dork. <laughs> You're more of a Carrie than a Miranda. Uh, also, absolutely not, because Carrie is a piece of shit. I've seen yes. like four episodes. Like, why would anyone want to be her? <laughs> uh, I digress. <laughs> anyway. Either way. So we're on page one and a half of our time constrained podcast. Yes. So I just thought that was interesting. The idea that they're going to arrest him, but they don't have a warrant. So that yeah. like, does that mean he can just lock the door and, and lay low? Obviously in this case he can't cause he's got shit to do. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And I always, Try to think of how I would avoid the cops in this scenario, just in case. You never know, right? There's an interesting back and forth. He tells her you know, what's going to happen, and then she he says they're going to need some more manpower at the airport, and he convinces her to tell Rudolph off the record that that's where the shroud is going to be. Mm-hmm. And specifically that Harry said the shroud's going to be there, which is interesting, kind of using Rudolph's douchebaggery yeah. for good instead of evil. And then did you, did, what did you think? Uh, he uses this storytelling quirk because it's first person in order to keep a secret secrets. Yeah. To play things close to the, to the chest, as they say, or the vest, depending on who's saying it, I guess. Um, where he says, what else can I, or she, she says rather, what else can I do? I told her you're kidding. No, we may need the manpower and SI's out of this one. Just when I had hope for your intelligence too. Um, did you have any thoughts there? I mean, I know you're just br- brushing through it, but did that, did, did your uh, mind go to Marcoin at all? Or what did you? No. Yeah, I, I didn't, mine didn't and I've read it a million times. I, 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 it took me a second to put together what he was talking about. Yeah, and I was just, I was trying to figure out like, obviously he's calling in the cavalry, but what cavalry is he calling? Cavalry, sorry, I can't say that word very well. Um but I did know I did not. That was not my first instinct. Yeah, I was, I was literally like, mostly I wanted to ask you that question just because I was thinking like, who else would he call in? You could think maybe the Alphas, but they haven't popped up the whole novel. That's true. Um, but it could be the Alphas. Yeah, but would he put the Alphas at risk? Absolutely not. And that's why it's just interesting. And, and thing, I do like yeah. that. He absolutely would put Marcone at risk. 100%. Well, the other thing too is because I was like, well, it can't be any supernatural forces because Murphy wouldn't know how to get a hold of them. So, yeah, like, that was the thing. I was like, huh. Yeah, I mean, I knew that he was calling in somebody, and I was like, okay, well, we're obviously going to find out this later. So, but yeah, they hop in the car, and, you know, we've learned a little bit about Martin. Just a, a one line where he won't help Harry and Susan... And for us, that seems kind of lame, but there's no reason for Martin to have any, want anything to do with Harry at this point, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I totally, we totally get it when you take a step back, but also where she says, the fellowship is his life. He serves a cause. What is it to yeah, you? Yeah, but he seems to, that's the thing. He seems like he would want to help Susan. Yeah, but. Does but Susan I mean, I guess that here? line, that line does change things. It does. Again, that, that means something here, but it means something different in retrospect as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which I kind of liked as well. But. Yeah. There was a lot of that in this, in this part of this novel where it was, 
he wasn't showing all of his cards and uh, it works though. Yeah. There's one novel in particular where there's a, a major plot point really early is hidden like this and it's makes for a really fun reread, mm-hmm. but there's a couple times throughout, which it, it is a, you know, is it a, a trope or a sport storytelling beat or whatever we're calling it? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, kind of a first person, he's already a somewhat unreliable narrator, but he's adding a little bit, another layer to that by intention, intentionally misleading. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say that he, he's, he's making himself an unreliable narrator. Yeah. And you always are somewhat or a narrator exactly. with secrets. He's, he's just adding a, another reinforcing that he's unreliable sometimes, which may or not may not be useful for us as readers moving forward. But yeah. I like that he asks what the fellowship is to her and she just doesn't answer. And she doesn't answer. Yeah. Which it says a lot without saying a lot where clearly it means quite a great deal to her. But I don't know if she hasn't been in the thick of it nearly as long, it seems like. And mm-hmm. so I don't she, know if she knows what it means to her. I was yet. just going to say that. I feel like she doesn't quite know what it means to yeah. her. Now, you don't go get, you don't go let someone carve bindings into your skin unless you're all in. Yeah. So she clearly believes she's all in, but there must be another layer beyond all in that Martin she, seems to yeah. be at, right? She may still be learning these things yeah. about the organization. Exactly. Yeah, there's a pretty lame, oh, I'm glad you didn't see me beat up the snake boy because beating up bad guys is a boy thing. Uh, I do like the line where she says, chauvinist pig. Yeah, I get it from Murphy. She's a bad influence. I loved that so much. <laughs> Which is actually not double plus untrue because she we've already seen in the past that she does kind of try to testosterone things up to fit in with yeah. the cop buddies. Yeah. So it's actually not wrong. It's also not actually true in this case. But it's but spectacular. It <laughs> it's so funny. But it's also, he's... So we're getting into the the thick of things where he's heading to impending death and he's still cracking jokes. Oh, of course. It's fantastic. I really do appreciate that immensely. Um, She gives him shit for referencing uh, Eastwood, which I love. Mm -hmm. A man after my own heart. (laughs) But even if you do win, what does it change? Are you getting killed now? That way, I get to be killed later tonight instead. <laughs> Which was going to be my one of my quotes, but it's actually too similar to another one. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the idea of Wrigley being this menacing, scary, yeah. dark place. Because literally, it's- for baseball aficionados... It's literally referred to as the friendly confines Mm -hmm. and it's famously didn't have a night game until like the eighties, tons of, they still have tons of day games as it is. So it's always this bright, cheerful place with obviously lots of fans. The Cubs always suck, but the crowd's always good. They have Ivy on the um, outfield wall. It's just Mm -hmm. a very unique place, even as far as baseball stadiums go and um, having it be this, dark, creepy, scary place. It's just really funny to me. It's fan. I think I love it. I love the juxtaposition of it because baseball is a summertime game. Baseball is, you know, America's pastime. 
And when he's describing the stadium as darkness gaped in arches and doorways of the stadium, empty as the eyes of a skull. That's not baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it depends on who you're asking. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's so, it's very cinematic. This entire portion is very cinematic. Yeah. I'd love to see this duel play out. It just, Seems, oh yeah, just you know, with the the Mordite and all that stuff, looks seems pretty cool. I was just thinking of how they would film this, like how they could film this at Wrigley, how complicated it would be first off, but how cool it could be mm-hmm. because it is it is such a like I said cinematic scene. He's kind of moved away from some of our big cinematic moments, and we're back, both feet in the deep end on this one. Like 110%, like you cannot get more cinematic than this scene. Even just him getting out of the car where he said, you know, the sun blew back his uh, jacket. The sun did that, huh? I'm sorry, the, the, <laughs> the wind. The wind caught my coat and blew it back enough to show the gun on my hip now and again. And the fact that he's wearing the silk shirt because of the Mongols. Yeah, I love shirt. that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. I, was just I, like, oh, I wasn't no. planning on getting shot with barbed arrows, but weirder things have happened. <laughs> it's very accurate too. Uh, so we there's see, just a, a lot in this scene that it is, really is really cool. We see a number of different creatures or people, people who are in the back seat of the, the car with Ortega. Again, just mm-hmm. he's not here by himself, which may or may not come up in a moment. We see Thomas driving up and just completely ignore the parking lines. I love that Harry parks in them perfectly because that's what I would do too in an empty parking lot just because like order. (laughs) Yeah. But Thomas just pulls up and stops wherever Thomas wants to stop. He gets out with a bottle of whiskey. There's a, um, there's a weird weed panic. Again, thinking back to like 2002 or whatever. Yeah. 2005, whatever it was, where he gets out and it's not like a panic, like they're scary, but just the, the idea that he gets out a small cloud of smoke emerged. It wasn't cigarette smoke. Just seems like just kind of funny to me in this like scenario. Like, yeah, he's a white court vampire getting out of a car, drunk, driving a sports car. You know, a little weed probably calms him down. <laughs> but um, Paolo, I just I love Thomas. He's wearing a Buffy the Vampire shirt. Uh, Slayer shirt. <laughs> I love that. I lo- and it's just that like meta moment with James Marster saying he's wearing it. Oh yeah, that's great too. Yeah. But he's also going to support a vampire that. <laughs> yes, it's it just so good. He himself is a vampire. Obviously, he's wasted. The hola Harry, hola Susan is good. Yes, but in this moment with the the first thought I saw. I, you know, the first thing I thought about this when I was listening to this was he might be faking it. Yeah. That was literally, I was just like, I don't, I don't think he's really that. Like it was, I mean, it was obvious, obviously. Yeah. The the slurring and stuff was maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And or he's almost falling down, but it's like, and every other moment we encounter him, he's very graceful and. Yeah, that is a word yes. that is a really good word to describe what he does. He's always very graceful with his movements mm-hmm. and cat-like and stuff is how they describe stuff like that. Yeah. So, so it's very much a... Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good catch. <laughs> um, 
I don't even know if I'm going to be able to edit this. We're using a different platform today to record because ours wasn't working. So fingers crossed it all works out. Yes. And if not, it's going to be. So if there's a lot of bullshit in this, oopsie. Oopsie, oopsie, oopsie. (laughs) So they get, they drive out to the, onto the field and Ivy comes out with a box. And I like that Harry feels the nauseating cold before she even opens it. Mm-hmm. right before he sees what's in there at least and she opens the box and there's a, a bit of mordite which is a substance we've never heard of but it's death stone they call it mm-hmm. where she drops a scorpion in there and it just basically acts like a big bug zapper um thomas describes it as a big someone spray painted a soap bubble and gave it tentacles <laughs> what does it do it it, it kills hence the name Deathstone, you halfwit. <laughs> so it is kind of cool. We get to see Mordite, and you know, it's something not of this world. And we don't mean extraterrestrial; we mean not of our universe. So something outside mm-hmm. our understanding of reality, which is why it interacts with our reality the way it does. She has them spread out along the around the infield, and the idea for the duel is they're battling with wills. And they have to push the Mordite at one another. Obviously, when the Mordite gets to one of them, it will bug zap them. And that will be that. And they can only use their brains and their seconds are there to make sure there's no funny business, as is Kincaid and Ivy. So they're going back and forth, doing their thing. They have a a nice, pleasant chat about ways and means. And Ortega says that he's going to kill Harry and end the war. Anything else is immaterial. So he's now, he begins to threaten basically going down the list of people that he's worked with, including someone we've never met before, but the investigator you apprenticed under. Mm-hmm. I was the owner of the bar. We see Mac, um, the knight and his family, the old man of the Ozarks, the wolf children, obviously Miss Rodriguez and the police woman. The wolf children. I do like wolf children as a descriptor. It's also not a bad descriptor. <laughs> but instead of that making him afraid that empowers Harry as we've seen in the past, basically like you could kick Harry, kick Harry in the balls all you want. But when you threaten his friends and family, you know, when you, when you're a bully, that's when he really starts to get pissed off. So he says, buddy, you just said the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And he starts to gain more power and will, and he's shoving the orb closer and closer. And he's going to win this duel. He's going to win the duel. And he says, how does it feel, Ortega, being too weak to protect yourself? How does it feel to know you are about to die? In answer, we see that he's pulled an arm out of his flesh mask and he's pointing a gun, which is interesting. You know, you talk about how interesting it would be to see it cinematically. Mm -hmm. He's wearing an Idgar suit and there's a gun poking. (laughs) Basically, there's a gun poking through the abdomen of the Edgar suit. Yeah, of Ortega in his Edgar suit and just kind of a weird grotesque vision, Mm -hmm. a small bulge. Harry stares at him in shock and Ortega says, how does it feel? Why don't you tell me? How far apart are they? It's a very good question because the seconds are on first and third base. Yeah. The archive is at home plate. And I know that the, the, the pitcher's mound is between them. Yeah, the pitcher's mound would be 60 feet, 60 feet 6 inches from home plate. Uh, I was actually looking through that again this morning. 
kind of half-heartedly because I didn't finish uh, <laughs> trying to figure it out. Cause initially when he put the seconds on first and third, I just thought mm-hmm. that they were at home and first or home and uh, second. But then obviously, as I read it in my mind, coming into this novel, that was kind of my visualization. Yeah. And obviously they're not that far apart. So they must just be in the infield grass. Yeah. I think they're just hanging out probably 40, 30 feet away, maybe. Doesn't sound like they're all that far apart. Yeah. It happens pretty Because quickly. he also speaks quietly. Yeah, they're speaking so only each other can hear them. And what what what, what would the first the seconds be able to do at first and third the seconds at first and third? It's like a Costello. Exactly. It is interesting. Every week he gets paid. Who cashes his check? Every penny. And why shouldn't he? He deserves it. Uh <laughs> Oh God, it is really, you watch that. I watched that not I don't know, a couple months ago, but if you've never actually sat through the whole, the entirety of who's on first, it is still like, it holds up as one of the more hilarious bits. I know obviously it's legendary, but it still holds up. Um, but yeah, I would say they're probably about 30, 30 feet away from each other. If that. Okay. That's my spitball and guess. Okay. I'm sure. Somebody's going to correct us and, they probably because I was trying, it, but I didn't. I couldn't. Yeah, find as it. I was listening to it, I was trying to picture it in my head. The first time, I completely missed all. Of, I've, I listened to it like three times just today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to kind of like, I, and I still couldn't figure out how far apart they were. Um, okay, so Ortega has a gun, and Harry, who, despite all of his other faults, is generally a pretty much a not necessarily a rule follower but he does honor the rules of engagement for the most part it seems when it suits him let's just say um (laughs) um and harry says you can't they'll hear the shot they'll kill you and ortega says he's prepared to accept that and this mordite sphere darted at my head i caught it a couple feet from me and held it but just barely And Ortega says, I told you, Dresden, there's only one way this can end. I would have preferred an honorable demise for you, but any death will do. (laughs) And then... Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, sorry. It's okay. And then a dot of scarlet light appears on Ortega's chest and tracks slowly up. He's got a laser. Somebody's got a laser sight. And he says, my expression must have changed because Ortega glanced down too. Ortega's eyes widened and his expression twisted in fury. And then all fucking hell breaks loose. Something shoots Ortega a couple times because it shot him. His shot goes off. And then Susan throws staff and rod. Super like action movie moment. And vampires. Just vampires. Everywhere. They're coming out of the boxes. They're coming over the outfield wall. They're everywhere. He vent his servitasis to get the dirt rolling. And then he fuegos and sets a vampire on fire. Because greasy skin going up like a bonfire. Which I love that. And Kincaid scoops up the archive and races for the dugout to to protect her. And he pulls out a semi-automatic. Uh, the vampires start to fall and uh, 
Kim K keeps shooting. It's just absolute and utter insanity. Uh, but Harry had had popped a, a vial of the van- the empire empire vampire anti venom before this all started, and so he gets hit with the vampire venom. So thankfully, he took that anti venom. Venom. I can't talk. Sorry. And <laughs> they just there's just an ongoing fight, and. Thomas tells Harry to get out and Harry says, no, get Susan out of here. And so Susan has been flung across the field, slammed into cement and over the uh, top of the dugout. Um, And there's just fire, fire, jets of fire are streaking past Harry. He looks up and sees Kincaid. Kincaid stood outside the dugout and dropped a smoking shotgun to the ground. He reached into a golf bag. These golf bags are super handy. He reached into a golf bag next to him, smooth and professional, and drew out another, another double-barreled shotgun. A jet of flame streaked out and went through the vampire. So Kincaid is, is loaded for bear, let's just say. And they vampires leap at Kincaid when he turns his back. And... They got to deal with the archive instead. The child stepped out from behind the golf bag, the tenebrous Mordite sphere floating between her hands. She released the sphere and made a single gesture. The little cloud of darkness blurred towards the vampires and streaked into each in turn at the pace of a busy workman's hanger. A busy workman's hammer. Bang, bang, bang! When the Mordite sphere struck them, there was a flash of cold purple light, a swell of darkness, and then the the sphere passed on through. It left ash and black bones raining down behind it. I could barely follow the Mordite sphere's path as it moved so fast. One second the vampires were all there, and then they were simply gone. Black bones and gray ash littered the ground around me. I feel like this would smell really, really bad. <laughs> Just the whole mix of it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And so Kincaid draws one more shotgun from the golf bag and with two more flaming blasts executes two, two last vampires. The Mordite sphere glided back gently to rest between the archive's tiny hands and she stood regarding me for a long and silent moment. There was nothing in her expression. Nothing in her eyes. Nothing. I felt the beginnings of a soul gaze and pulled my face away fast. And then she asks Kincaid who broke the sanctity of the duel. And and Kincaid says he can't tell, but Harry was winning. And so the archive, uh, I love this moment. I don't know why. Thank you for letting me pet your kitty, Mr. Dresden. And thank you for my name. That sounded frighteningly like a goodbye, but it was only polite to answer. You're welcome, Ivy. And then she, she puts the Mordite away and says, these proceedings are concluded. I looked around at the bones, dust, and smoldering vampires. You think? <laughs> That's, you're right. And I just love it. And then Arcade, uh, sorry, Archive and Kincaid leave and they're going to go through the drive-thru. Um, and Dresden asks him, what the hell are those things? Incendiary rounds, he said. He passed my, he passed my drop staff over to me. Work real well on the reds, but they're so hot they warp gun barrels. If you get unlucky, the second shot can blow you back into your. Sorry, the second shot can blow back into your face, so you have to use throwaway guns. Where can I get some? I know a guy. I'll have him call you. See you, Dresden. 
I like how he doesn't say goodbye because he's, he's going to be back. I have a feeling he's coming back. Um, and so then he runs, rushes over to Susan and Thomas is caring for her. And he says, we have to take her to the hospital. And Thomas says, you don't want her waking up injured and dazed in a place packed to the roof with weakened prey. Weakened prey. And he says, look, if she's not dead, odds are she'll recover. And then we find out who the sharpshooter was. It was Martin. And he says, why do you think we came to Chicago to begin with? Susan said she was getting her things. You believed that. I would have thought you knew Susan well enough to know that material things don't hold a lot of interest for her. I knew that, but she said, we knew Ortega was coming to kill you. We knew that if he succeeded, he might be able to bring the war to a peaceful conclusion, only to begin begin it again 20 years from now, from a much stronger position. I was sent to make sure Ortega did not kill you, and to eliminate him if I could. Did you? He had planned for the contingency. Two of his vassals got to him during the fight. They pulled him out. I don't know how badly he was hurt, but it's likely he'll make it back to Casa Verde. You want the war to keep going. You're hoping the White Council will destroy the Red Court for you. Martin nodded. How did you find out about the duel? Martin didn't answer. I narrowed my eyes and looked at Thomas. Don't look at me. I'm a drunken, chemical-besotted playboy who does nothing but cavort, sleep, and feed. And even if I had the mind to take a bit of the vengeance on the Red Court, I wouldn't have the backbone to actually stand up to anyone. I'm totally harmless. (laughs) I love it. And Harry's headed out. And Thomas says, where are you going? The airport. I've got to meet some people about an old man and a bedsheet. I love how that's been like one of the major contentions of this novel. And it gets wrapped up in about a half a chapter. Just mm-hmm. the duel really never was the major point. Right. I mean, it was kind of. We got it sent- had to happen. Oh, yeah. But it, it starting off chapter one. Right. We find out that it's Ortega is here. And wants to wants to kill him, and it seems like that's going to be the climax. Yeah, and it's not. It's just something we got to get out of the way so that we can deal with the real climax. Which you know he mentions it, and in one of my quotes of the week, he's it's going to kind of explain what he's his thoughts are on it. But Ortega's not the scariest bad guy in this novel, and it's not even close. No, right? No, I just love how. It's not red herring, but it's a similar idea of a kind of a misdirection there from Butcher. But it's very much a necessary part of the plot. It's just not the crucial climax. Is it though, if you take Ortega out of this novel, don't we get the same novel? But then Susan doesn't have a purpose for being there. Well, we thought she did before that. That's true. But we don't learn about Thomas is actually working for the good guys. That's fair. We, don't, we, we got a little bit we of don't we got have a little an bit on Thomas for sure. Yeah, we don't have an introduction to Kincaid and the archive. Okay. Yeah, no, so for some side characters, it definitely comes up and is important. I just I said just But I, I do like that it was like, oh my gosh, this is the big thing, and then all this other shit goes on with Nicodemus. I, I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. But it's also very much this huge, horrible thing is not even the worst thing that's going on in Chicago. It's today. not the worst thing in Harry's in Harry's day. Yeah. No, I like it. I like it. And it, I wasn't saying I wanted the story to not have it. I just thought it was interesting that it was in the first chapter it seems like this is going to be it and now yeah. it's just kind of like nah. 
brush yeah. brush over the vampire. We got some fucking fallen angels to worry about, you know, just yeah. think of how quickly we're leveling up here, at least on the opposition side. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Definitely. So uh, Harry heads over and meets them at the airport or around the near the airport, I guess. And Michael says, Harry, I was getting worried. You won? Not exactly. <laughs> Not exactly. I don't take on the ropes and he cheated. Both of us cleared the benches. I came out in one piece. He came out in a couple pieces, but got away. I dug it. I dug it. And then we yeah. see the cloak. He says, Michael, are you wearing the armor? I am wearing the armor and the cloak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were missing the cloak last week, so I'm glad the cloak is back. Yes. And I love that we mentioned it last yes, week. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is completely organic. Um, I definitely, well, I, I'm not reading ahead because I really don't want to do that. So that, like I said, yeah, I'm reading them four or five, sometimes with the audiobook six times a week, just uh-huh. <laughs> on repeat trying to get through it. So, I, do, I do love it. It's fantastic though. Well, we, we get a good progressive versus conservative knighthood conversation here. Yeah. The idea of Sonya doesn't wear armor, but he wears Kevlar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he says... Uh, but I also love how um, we'll stop munitions, or e- or even some military rounds, but not knives or claws or arrows. <laughs> Yours will not stop bullets. I love that the back and forth there. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what, it's it, exactly what I was referencing. And then when Michael says, my faith protects me. <laughs> so they go and uh, Harry says, okie dokie, Michael. We have any idea where the bad guys are? The airport. Needle. Haystack. Where at the airport? <laughs> we must have faith. How did I guess? Did you did you bring Vitalakius? And Harry still shows faith huh, in his mm-hmm. friend, where he says, Shiro's going to need it back. I like that he has more faith that Shiro's going to make it than anyone else. I love that the knights have a very similar reaction to Nicodemus's presence as Susan did. Mm-hmm. Remember, she could smell... Yeah. His presence, his voice. And Harry says, I sense a great disturbance in the force. And Michael (laughs) says, you do? (laughs) But Sonya smells sour milk and mildew. And Michael sees or, you know, feels arrogance, ambition, disregard, so kind of like I mentioned before, just different ways to interpret things, but it's cool. And I wonder if what that says about Susan more than anything else, mm-hmm. um, that she has that connection with the Knights because Harry's got nothing. Even though in the end, he's tasked with taking care of Philokius. Well, and the other thing about that, so they have these, they, they are sensing this, but He's the only one that sensed the Mordite. Oh, interesting. That was I. That was actually one of my notes that they can all sense Nicodemus. He's the only one that sensed the Mordite. But he can't sense Nicodemus, which is interesting. Exactly. And Nicodemus, but I also Nicodemus is a fallen angel, but he's of this universe. Yes. Whereas the Mordite is not. Hmm. Stars and stones. Well, and I was also thinking. Mordite with the shadows that go out and grab. Who does that remind us of? Bad Asiel? 
<laughs> exactly. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, Nicodemus, his shadows go out. And Duriel is the uh, angel. But, you know, like, that was like, I went, like, I wonder if they have some re- relationship. Interesting. There. Okay. I mean, they're certainly looking to see, it seems like they're trying to unmake reality. He talks about apocalypse. Yeah. Um, interesting. Interesting. Something to put a pin in for sure. Yeah. It was just, a, it was an observation. Yeah. Uh, Harry passes on that, the, you know, what Fort Hill said about the Denarians, every time they hurt someone, they get more power. Yes. Which is interesting and not necessarily unique, but it's cool to see it in more of a grounded real world kind of way like this. Mm-hmm. This I don't love. I love the idea that they they need to clear out the terminal, and so they call in a fake bomb threat through Murphy. But Harry mm-hmm. wouldn't be the one to hold the cell phone. That seems like a maybe. I'm just thinking later on when Harry gets more powerful. But I thought that was kind of wonky. But definitely, that, but he does talk about how he has to stay calm. Yes, I do love that, um, which we have seen, and he did it relatively successful, successfully early on in this novel, right before he got distracted at Larry Fowler, he was able to do that. So Murphy's going to report a bomb threat. I do love that Sonia not only has Kev Kevlar and Esperakius, but he also has an AK 47, which is great. You know, there is a great back and forth, you no know, kind of understanding of who these people are as, as individuals where mm-hmm. Michael says too random for my taste. Too easy to hurt the wrong person. And Sonia says, maybe. But the only people inside should be the Narians, yes? And Shiro. I will not shoot Shiro. <laughs> but I also love that that it's the it's a Kalishnikov. As opposed which to- is a, a Russian made Oh yeah. Yeah, like that was I was just like and then those those suckers are I've seen one. They're huge, first off. And second off, they, they put a they put a nice uh hole in a person. Today, I didn't even have to use my AK. I gotta say, it was a good day. Yeah, no, just definitely on brand as the resident oh, Russian. Yeah. He's gotta bring Russian tools. He's gotta have a Russian firearm. He fix things on Soviet space station. A Russian <laughs> space station. Hit, hitting things with a large piece of mm-hmm. metal is generally... Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I like how Sonia carries the, the AK like in a sports bag over his shoulder, uh-huh. but he's got his hand. Um, we've seen this. Well, I guess we, we've, we've seen the golf bag for the swords mm-hmm. and stuff, but that's kind of a cool incognito way to carry a somewhat incognito, yeah. I guess. He's the bad guy in an action movie from the 90s. Exactly. Exactly. So It's like Dolph Lundgren style. They had to the, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> exactly. They had to a chapel, the kind of, Church, the church chapel. They head to the church chapel. They head to the airport <laughs> chapel, and there's a little bit of a fight on the way. They, they kill some goons. They have a, a little, a brief tête-à-tête with some goons, where there's some bullets that go back and forth through a door. Sonya mm-hmm. puts his body and his Kevlar between Harry and the bullets, and then Michael comes through and with a really badass move. Mm-hmm. jabs Amarakis through a steel door and through yeah. a goon, which is just a cool set piece kind of thing. Would, would look really, oh, definitely. Would look really cool in a movie. Yeah. And Spectacularly. The, and the blood seeping under the door. Again, just, oh, just yeah. we talk about things being really cinematic and cool. Look, mm-hmm. like, 
would be cool looking. This would just be a really awesome one to see on film. Oh yeah. And they see that the bullets that hit Sonya were stopped by the vest and the strike plates. And he said, progressive (laughs) as they go through. They didn't have tongues. So the goons are definitely Nicodemus's. And there's an interesting thought here, experiment here where Harry, where, you know, we know Michael and Sonya can kind of feel and sense Nicodemus. And so Harry says, if you can feel him, can he feel you? Could he know if you were getting close to him? And Michael shrugged. It seems likely. So, you know, one of those things we don't think about when we talk, our hero's ability to track down the bad guy, the the bad guy Mm -hmm. probably has some similar power. It's a two-way street. Exactamundo, Brett. So they get into the chapel and there is blood fucking everywhere. Yeah. There is a broken down, mostly corpse of an old man. And it's one of those scenes where I'll cover the door and you go figure it out, Liz. Mm-hmm. I have no interest. <laughs> Somebody's got to cover our six, okay? I'm being a man. I'm being manly here and doing stuff. Uh, it is just it. an awful scene. Yeah, and there's the plague has started. There's there was some sort of ritual with writing and runes and spells and stuff going on. And you know, Harry mentions that there's just so much blood. Like it doesn't make any sense how much blood there is here. Yeah, he fixates on it. Yeah. Understandably, understandably. I can only imagine. And we see that Shiro's not quite dead. He's just mostly dead. <laughs> he gives a little cough. and Scares the shit out of everybody. Out of everyone. And there's, you know, they say their goodbyes. He, he gives him Fidelakius and you know, forces him to take Fidelakius and says that Hold hold it in trust until you find the one it belongs to. Mm-hmm. Which I like. Just yeah. on principle. And I have an idea who it belongs who it should belong to. Okay. Well, <laughs> oh, I want to hear it. I'm excited. And we learn about a Barabbas curse, which we've had a lot of biblical references. This is just another one that kind of mm-hmm. fits. Barabbas was the prisoner that the crowd freed in exchange for uh, Yeshua. Mm -hmm. And that was actually, we thought it was snake boy with the entropy curse the night before, but that was actually Nicodemus using Shiro's blood, presumably and trying to kill Harry. So um, Shiro basically took the metaphorical uh, wizard bullet. And so he was, He's dying, and there's a good exchange with Sonya. It's literally one phrase, but I just, it means a lot knowing what Sonya's been through, and I have been too downery lately, so I want to do funnier ones, but the, this is our parting, friend. I am proud of you. Like, Obviously, this is my understanding from, you know, what we've learned so far is that Shiro saved Sanya from his coin. He mentored him to be a knight. And so that just, you know, just one of those lines where it's less is more. And that 
I'm proud of you and calls him a friend too. You know, like just everything that Sonya needs to be the best version of himself moving forward. And then he tells Michael that the fight is yours. Basically, Michael, you're the team captain now. Be wise. Um, have have charity scrub that A off your armor because it's going to be a C next fall. <laughs> and then to Harry, he says, Nicodemus is afraid of you. Afraid that you saw something. I don't know what. And again, th- we've seen this theme come up a lot. This novel where Harry in anger says he should be afraid. No, Mm -hmm. don't let him unmake you. You must find him and take the shroud from him. But that idea of him unmaking him. Again, we've seen it with charity. We've seen it with Shiro. We've seen it with Michael. Like you're going to be the best version of you for you and the people you care about. Don't, don't be the worst version of yourself for the worst people. Um, again, so just Shiro basically gets one, he gets one, one Christmas present to everybody, but it's a, it's the perfect gift. Mm -hmm. And they obviously have to, the murder suspect has to get away from the dead guy covered in blood in the room full of blood. They decide Harry takes control, takes charge rather, and says, we're going to the airfield. He's smart. He'll figure it out. He'll be there. Yes. He doesn't answer when Michael asks who. No, he does. He says, all right. Oh, no, sorry. Later, he says, all right. He starts signaling for his for their ride. And we hear a helicopter blade whirling as it comes down to us. And it hops into a landing and they all climb in. And as they climb in, we see Gentleman Johnny Marcone. I love that he says gentleman Johnny Marcone dressed in dark fatigues. It's just something that was just so perfect. And again, being as, as prim and proper as ever. Yes. Good evening, gentlemen. Just tell me where to take you. Uh, so Sonia had also mentioned that they let slip that they were going to take a train as their backup plan. So they're now going southwest from the airport trying to track down the train. And you know, it's one of those, well, why, well, this is the guy that got the shroud stolen. Why would he work with us? And, you know, Harry's point is, of course, he's going to help us. Because if Nick gets away with the shroud, all that money and time and energy was for nothing. So um, Marcone says, <laughs> not to mention the plague would be bad for business. But I, <laughs> but I love that. It's so appropriate for him. Yeah. And the idea that, like, this is Marcone's best chance to get the shroud. Yeah. Is to get these Jamokes to take it. He'll he can yeah. take it from them a lot easier than he can take it from Nicodemus. So mm-hmm. Harry knows that he knows that. And so let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Rock and roll, Muffos. Which I love. And then <laughs> Harry says, not only have we had a bit of Wagner to send us on our way. And Guard looks at him. And pops on Ride of, Ride of the Valkyries. Which is so perfect. It's perfect. Absolutely. It's so perfect. More so than you could imagine. And he says, yeehaw! As long as we're going, we may as well go out in style. So spectacular. And so they are flying. And the chopper starts getting bumpy. And we learned that... Uh, 
The stabilizers are run by run by the onboard computer, <laughs> which has failed. And Marconi gives gives Harry a look. I can only speculate as to why. And I love how Harry literally reaches over, puts on the headset, and says, "Blow me." Excuse me, came Guard's somewhat outraged voice over the intercom. <laughs> Not you, Blondie. I was talking to Marconi. You don't want to piss off Guard <laughs> for sure. I love that. Compassion dictates we must make allowances. Mister Dresden is diplomatically is a diplomatically challenged individual. He should be in a shelter for the tactless. <laughs> I love their interactions. And then he says. Marconi, I need Marconi, I need to speak to you. And they go on a private channel. And he asks, why wouldn't you tell me? Tell you I hadn't sent Mr. Franklin for you? Yeah. You wouldn't have believed would you have believed me? No. Would you have thought I was playing some kind of game with you? Yes. Then why waste the time and make you more suspicious? Generally speaking, you are quite perceptive, given enough time. I and love he, that. I do too. Because he knows him. Because didn't Susan just say something along those lines? And I know you well enough to know that I do not wish to have you as my enemy. That is the biggest compliment he could have given to him. And he asks why he wants the shroud. And he, and Marcone says it's none of your business. Actually, it is. Literally. Why do you want it? Why do you want it? Because the denarians are going to kill a lot of people. That's reason enough for me as well. <laughs> sure. Sure it is. It's simple business, Mr. Dresden. I can't conduct business with a mound of corpses. Why don't I believe you? Because given enough time, you are a perceptive individual. <laughs> and so Marco's like, why are they going to St. Louis? It's another international airport. And this is the greatest da- dated statement on the planet. It's the central hub for TWA. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and hell, as long as they're there, they could probably go for a swim in the Mississippi. Why not simply stay in Chicago? I nodded toward Michael and Sanya. Them. Plus, I figured that they know that Murphy and SI would give them a hard time. Even the regular cops were out in force looking for them. And, you know, he asks, you got a way to find it. They figure out they're on the right train. And... Because, you know, they wouldn't be on a passenger train because they'd have to ditch the weapons and goons. <laughs> Which I love it. And they come across a train and they are going to be lifted down with a winch because this used to be a Coast Guard, flight, Coast Guard helicopter. Which, of course, Marconi has a, Marcone has a retired Coast Guard helicopter. Why wouldn't he? Right? And so Mayhem ensues. They're, the, I love the description of them all because he talks about how they all look very military and even Marcone looks military. And I pulled my old duster back until it fell behind the handle of my pistol, leaving it clear for a draw. I probably didn't look like military. <laughs> I It probably looked more like a spaghetti western. <laughs> Which I love. And he, and he talks about them walking over the tops of the train cars, much like you would see in every single western. And he said, if I hadn't been feverish and nauseous, it might have been fun. And... They're moving along and they, they, Michael and Sonia are being military and doing the hand signals and all that shit. And they says, when I faced the rear of the train again, I saw a nightmare running towards me. Whatever creation process this thing had undergone, it hadn't been a kind one. 
Four-legged and lanky, it looked vaguely like a cat, but it didn't have fur. Its skin was leathery, wrinkled, and mottled. Its head was somewhere between that of a jaguar and a wild boar. It had both tusks and fangs in its gaping, drooling mouth, and it moved with graceless speed. And he pulls out the blasting rod and zaps it. But because he zaps it, he's blinded for a moment. So he drops down on his stomach and yells for, for Marcone. And he gets it with a rifle. They're working together with Marcone, and I love it. And Marcone is pretty being relatively honorable in this regards. Um, and Marcone's, what was that? Some kind of guard dog. Interesting. Demon. <laughs> Doubt it. Demons are usually a lot tougher. Then what was it? How the hell should I know? Never seen anything like it before. <laughs> I love that he so, doesn't know everything. Yeah. Because of course he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. And it's super reasonable. The shit he knows versus the shit he doesn't. He doesn't know everything. And Marcon's like, what is it? I don't fucking know. It's, it's great. It's a bad guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then they come across a cattle car and there are three baddies that are... Um, unconscious in the bottom of it and marcone asks if they're dead and napping sonia says we should finish them these men are fanatics if they wake up they'll attack us without hesitation armed or not we're not going to murder them in cold blood is there a particular reason why shut up marcone (laughs) (laughs) and he says you know they would show them no mercy we are not killing them how did i guess and so he tosses Tanya a couple cu- a couple sets of handcuffs as one carries in their belt bag. I, in my head, it's just like one of those like military fanny packs, and he just has like a uh, um, so Mark, Mary Poppins. So bag. in a uh, th- uh, what do you call it? Short story. We learned that Marcone mm-hmm. and Hendrix were military. Okay. So he does have military training and military background. Um, so he definitely that was um, mm. Dragon Fett. Yeah, it was the guy that. Uh, for sure, but let me that. Um, friend of the program, Dragon Fett. <laughs> and he, but that's that's where he gets a lot of the ability and not maybe the connections to get the some of those skill that skill set and connections to get some of the, the surplus helicopters and all the things potentially. But gotcha. they were they were in the military together, and so there's a lot of that. There's connections, yeah. But you also see that play out with the way they act in these situations. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. not as much on this one, but there's some others where it's, it's a very regimented, you know, cover versus taking cover versus yeah, those kinds of things. Um, okay, you see you see a little bit of that here, and that may color your understanding of these scenes for better or worse. There you go. Alrighty, so uh, so he ha- he tosses them. Uh- handcuffs and they cuff him to the train and he says i suppose we'll just have to take the chance that none of them will chew off his own hand at the wrist and slip free michael michael calls loudly he's calling speaking loud enough to be heard over the sound of the train and amarakius is out um steel chimed on steel sonia shoved his assault rifle at me i caught it and he pushed past me to start climbing out of the car and uh, Sonia draws Esperachius. And this is such a, I love this moment because it's so, it's telling. It's again, showing, not telling. I let my staff drop and fumbled with the assault rifle, trying to find the safety. 
Marcone set his hunting rifle aside and said, you're going to hurt yourself. He took the assault (laughs) rifle out of my hands, checked a couple of things without needing to look at the weapon, and then slung it over his shoulder as he climbed out of the car. I muttered to myself and went up the wooden slats beside him. It's just, it's a, it's such a juxtaposition moment where it's like, but it's so perfect. Um, But it also tells us a little bit more about Marcone. And there is Nicodemus. The Lord of the Denarians stood, sorry, the Lord of the Denarians wore a gray silk shirt and black pants. He's wearing silk silk too. He must know about the Mongols. The (laughs) The shroud had been draped over his body like a contestant in a beauty pageant. The noose around his neck blew out toward the rear of the train in the wind. He had a sword in his hands, a Japanese katana with a, with a worn hilt. Droplets of blood stained the very tip of the sword. He held the sword at his side, a small smile on his lips, to all appearances, relaxed. And then we see Michael has a line of blood on his cheek, and he tells Harry to stay back. And in that moment, the Denarian's weapon blurred, and Michael, Michael barely re- and Michael barely managed to get Amarakius into a parry. He was thrown off balance to one knee for a fatal second. But Sonya roared and attacked, whipping his saber through whistling arcs and driving Nicodemus back. The Russian drove the Denarian towards the far side of the car. I saw the trap coming and shouted, Sonya, back off! And then the steely blades of our homegirls, lovely hair comes piercing through the ceiling of the, of the, the car, the floor they're on. And Michael does a little bit more steel cutting magic with Amarakius jumps in and Nicodemus uses his shadow again and crushes the blasting rod to splinters and a blade tears through Sonia's leg. There's a whole lot of shit going down here. And Sonia's hurt. And Nicodemus, huh? Yes. Nicodemus raises his sword for the death blow. Gentleman Johnny Marcone opened up with the Kalishnikov. And he keeps shooting. And of course, as we know, nothing happens to Nicodemus. He just gets pissed off. (laughs) But at that point, he topples from the side of the car and out of sight. But then there's another demonic screech and the sound of wrenching metal. The shrieks faded toward the front of the train, and the moment and a moment later, Michael climbed up the ladder rungs of the side of the boxcar. And they, uh, they, they, you know, they said they sh- he should they should have dropped him in place. They'll have to go back for the shroud. No, we won't. I said he didn't kill him. He probably just pissed him off. <laughs> Do you think so? The damage seems fairly thorough. I don't think he could be killed. Interesting. Can he run faster than a train? Probably. And we find out Deirdre is wounded and she has pushed herself through to the front of the car. And as it turned out, I was mistaken. Nicodemus could not run faster than a train. He flew faster than a train. And so there he is. His sword flashes towards Marcone. Marcone's reflexes could make a striking snake look sluggish. And he dodged and rolled out of the way. And so... Nicodemus has uncoupled the cars and adding to the insanity. <laughs> um, Harry uses his, his Ferraze for, for Zare. Sells for Zare! Shep- 
spell and jumps up basically all the all the boys jump up and <laughs> the boy isn't very fast is he michael said nicodemus you're an adequate opponent i suppose not as experienced as you could be but it's hard to find someone with more than 30 or 40 years of practice much less 20 centuries not as talented as the japanese but then not many are Give up the shroud, Nicodemus, Michael shouted. It is not yours to take. Oh, yes, it is. You'll certainly, you certainly will not be able to stop me. And when I finish you and the wizard, I'll go back for the boy. Three nights in a day, as it were. He can't make bad puns, I muttered. That's my shtick. At least he didn't overlook you entirely, Marcone answered. I feel somewhat insulted. <laughs> <laughs> And so he asks why. Harry asks him why. Beg pardon? Why? Why the hell are you doing this? I mean, I get why you stole the shroud. You needed a big battery. But why a plague? Have you read Revelations? Not in a while. <laughs> Not but, lately. Yeah. But I just can't buy that you really think you're touching off the apocalypse. Dresden, Dresden. The apocalypse, as you refer to it, isn't an event. At least it isn't any specific event. One day I'm sure there will be an apocalypse that really does bring on the end, but I doubt it will be this event that begins it. Then why do this? Apocalypse is a frame of mind, a belief, <laughs> a surrender to inevitability. It's the, it is despair for the future. It is the death of hope. And in that kind of environment, Michael said quietly, there is more suffering, more pain, more desperation, more power to the underworlds. And their servants. Exactly. And we learn Nicodemus is a terrorist group lined up to take credit for this. And that would be a bunch of mess. And Michael says, that's one step closer. That's how he sees it. Progress. I like to think of it as simple entropy. The real question to my mind is, why do you stand against me? It is the way of the universe, Knight. Things fall apart. Your resistance to it is pointless. In answer, Michael drew his sword. Ah, eloquence. Stay back, Michael said to me. Don't distract me. And they start sword fighting. <laughs> Shooting him hardly seems to inconvenience him, Marcone said quietly to me. I take it the knight's sword can harm him. Michael doesn't think so, I said. Marcone blinked and looked at me. Then why is he fighting him? Because it needs to be done, I said. Do you know what I think, Marcone said. You think we should shoot Nicodemus in the back at the first opportunity and let Michael dismember him? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just love it. Again, and then the, the subversion of expectation there, where it's uh -huh. it's setting you up for a no. Michael wants to fight him, and we got to you, know, you know, like you know, finding yeah, because we just got we can't cold kill them in cold blood. Yeah, and then finding a reason for okay. Michael to have his um this whole this whole battle reminds me. There's a there's like a interview with the TV show creator who used to be a good dude who sucks now mm -hmm. or used to be understood to be a good dude, but it is now mm -hmm. openly a shit, shithead Joss Whedon where he's talking about the season finale of, I want to say Buffy season. Th it is season three. Mm -hmm. It's season two, season two. Um, and he's saying, you know, they're doing this and there's going to be a big sword fight. Cause of course there has to be a big sword fight, <laughs> but that's his entire reason for having a big sword fight was, yeah, of course there's going to be a big, this just feels like that where of course there's going to be this because of course there is, of course, you know, just, just, and you, you mentioned you just the way you phrased it a second ago made, made me think of that exact quote. Um, but like, 
there's a you're expecting we're expecting Harry to say no. We're not going to be unsorting. Yeah. We're not going to get in Michael's way. And then he just says, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. Th- this, <laughs> the bad guy has a good good plan here. Let's go with that. Yeah, <laughs> I just love 100%. it. Hundred percent. Um, and mayhem ensues, and Michael says, "Oday lava cod estorium." Cleanse what is unclean, oh God. Michael manages to hold his ground against Nicodemus, their blades ringing. Michael drove Nicodemus to one side, and I had a shot at his back. I took it. Beside me, Marconi, Marcone did the same thing. Uh, the shots took Nicodemus by surprise and stole his balance. Michael shouted and pressed forward on the offensive, seizing the advantage for the first time. Both shining blades dipped and circled through attack after attack, and Michael drove Nicodemus back, step by step. Hell's bells, he's going to win, I muttered. But then Nicodemus drew a gun from his ba- the back of his belt. He shoved it against Michael's breastplate and pulled the t- trigger repeatedly. Light and thunder made even the rushing train sound quiet. Michael fell and, and did not move. The light of the two swords went out. I raised my gun and uh, I shouted, no! I raised my gun and started shooting again. Marcone joined me. We didn't do too badly considering we were standing on moving train and all, but Nicodemus didn't seem to care. He walked towards us through the bullets, jerking and twitching occasionally. He casually kicked the two swords over the side of the train. I ran dry on bullets, and Nicodemus took the gun from my hand with the stroke of his sword. It hit the top of the boxcar once, then bounced off and into the night. The train thundered down a long, shallow grade toward a bridge. Demon girl, Deidre, leaped over her father's side on all fours, her face distorted in glee. Tendrils of her hair ran lovingly over Michael's form. I drew up with my unfocused shield to a regular barrier. Into a regular barrier before me, I said, don't even bother offering me a coin. I hadn't planned on it, Nicodemus said. You don't seem like a team player to me. But I've heard about you, Marcone. Are you interested in a job? I was just going to ask you the same thing, Marcone said. <laughs> Bravo, sir, I understand. I'm obligated to kill you, but I understand. And Harry and Marcone have this moment. <laughs> and Nicodemus uses his magic shadow bullshit. And he produces a knife. He flicks it at Nic- Marcone produces a knife. He flicks it at Nicodemus's face. I went for his gun hand. When he flinched, the gun went off. My senses exploded with a flash of light and I lost the feeling in my left arm, but I tripped his trapped his gun arm between my body and my right arm and pried at his fingers. Marcone went with him with another knife. It swept past my face, missing me, but it hit the shroud. Marcone cut through it cleanly, seized it and pulled it off Nicodemus entirely. I felt the release of energy as the shroud was removed. Boom. Course broken. No, Nicodemus shouted, kill him. Deidre leapt at Marcone. Marcone turned and jumped off the train just as it rolled out over the river. He hit the water feet first, still clutching the the shroud and was lost in the darkness. So we've, Nicodemus grabs him, puts his arm around his neck. He says, I'm go, it's going to take days to kill you, Dresden. He's afraid of you, said Shiro's voice in my mind. In my memories, I watched Nicodemus edge away from Shiro as the old man entered the room. The noose made him invulnerable to any lasting harm. But in a flash of insight, I was willing to bet that the one thing the noose couldn't protect him from was itself. And so he pulls that motherfucker and uh, 
he's choking Nicodemus with his own noose, which is brilliant. Does Harry dress and have so, to choke a bitch? Exactly. So Harry scoops up Michael. They end up in the water and he feels like somebody's throwing a rope to him. And so he pulls them in. It was Marcone and he hadn't thrown me a rope. He'd hauled me out with the shroud. I love the hmm. stuff with Michael in the water where Michael is wearing armor. And so he is heavy as balls and Harry is sinking with him. Just. Yeah. He wouldn't, he's not going to let go of his friend and I, I'm not, <laughs> you can say selfishly, I'm not going to show up to that funeral with charity. Cause then it'll be a two for oh, anyway, yeah. anyway. But no, I mean, this is like the love he has for his friend. Like we're, we're in this together and I'm going to try to get us out. And if I can, great. If not, you and me, brother. I uh, just and and thinking that Charity would kill him anyway is probably also in the back of the mind. <laughs> it's like it's not worth living. No, oh, it's it's going to take Nicodemus days to kill him. It'll take Charity months. <laughs> right? She's going to keep his ass alive in the treehouse. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, there's handrails, and there's 100%. also there's, there's a lot of handrail guardrails, and there's also soundproofing so that no one can hear Harry scream. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> And there's things hooked to the ceiling. and yeah. So he wakes up in the back of Michael's pickup truck. And, you know, he says the shroud should have torn. It should have been torn like tissue paper, but it didn't. It just doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. And he kind of drifts in and out. Michael's unmoving form is next to him. We hear Sonia's voice, so we know he's alive. And he, he, he wakes up at the morgue. <laughs> oh my God. I love that so much. And I'm, like, I'm not dead. I'm oh, not dead. That is, I mean, spoiler alert. That's my favorite line of the week. <laughs> I'm not dead. And, and Marsters delivers it with such a plum. Oh yeah. It is so good. I'm not dead. I'm not dead. <laughs> yeah. We know Harry. <laughs> yeah. We know. We know, bud. Imagine how terrifying oh it would be to wake up to the, in the morgue. Yes. Uh-huh. I think it would be awful. And I, I've worked in morgues before. So <laughs> we find out that Murphy has taken them to Butters because any gunshot wounds at, that show up at the hospital have to be reported to police. Yes. So obviously Butters is not super into this idea, but yeah, he does his best. That would be like somebody asking me, hey, can you just pull this bullet out? It's just like, do just a quick little. Why would I do that? Like, no, <laughs> this is not a thing I do. <laughs> no, no. I could write a report about where the bullets went in and what the bullets exactly. did. <laughs> and if they're dead, I can cut it out. But no, no, no. His heart's still beating. Nope, nope, nope. No, ma'am. <laughs> no, ma'am. So I, he also <laughs> has to do this without a good x-ray because the x-ray doesn't show yes. where the bullet is. Because it's getting all wonky because of Harry. Yep. So it's a whole... <laughs> I do like the, the line where he says, and I thought, great. I'm going to require an armed escort. Escort. I'm going to require an armed escort to make sure mm-hmm. I get to hell. <laughs> yes. But we do see before he passes out again, Michael stood over him. Yes. And I'm guessing that's what that line means. He thinks maybe he's he's dying. That he's dead, dead and he's going to be his armed escort to, yeah. But 
I just am glad that we don't keep the Michael thing for long, basically. Yeah. Um, it's not a fake out death, you know? I love that. That It's just like, nope, look, he's alive. He's here. Don't worry. Don't worry. And in Harry, don't throw in Harry's right. In Harry's fucked up state. He interprets that. But that's, that's his first thought too, which I kind of love too. But also Michael's not going South, right? Like, come on, man. No, no. So (laughs) he wakes up in the carpenter's guest room. The next time he's a lot, he's coherent. Yeah. And on the next on the floor next to the bed, is Michael's breastplate. There were four neat holes where the bullets had gone through, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And a small child comes in and says he's Howie. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Uh, good enough, kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, goodness gracious. Michael comes in and I like the, back and forth where Harry says, your faith protects you, huh? My faith protects me. My Kevlar helps. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great. We find out that Charity made all the armor. She used to work on motorcycles. Which is fantastic. Of course. She's an onion. Mostly gross and annoying and frustrating, but every so often there's a layer in there. Um, That's not really a good onion metaphor but still (laughs) just throw her in some butter and fry her up for a while she tastes real good (laughs) you know murphy explains that she took him to why excuse me murphy explains why she took him to butters kind of keep rudolph off the scent a little bit and she's worried about that choice which is you know we've seen how important cop hood is to her and so mm-hmm. she really was taking a big leap of faith there for Harry yes. and for these guys to keep it off the, I mean, she did a lot of things here that could get her in trouble and also things that Stormfront Murphy just wouldn't do, you know? And, yeah. and so we've seen a lot of growth on her, a lot of it off camera, but we've seen her. But we, she also, as a friend. Go ahead. She well, she's progressing in her involvement because he's giving her information too. That's so fair, she yeah. feels like she has, um, she has a skin in the game. Yeah, and it's I mean, you give someone trust, they give you know trust is a two way street, and now they trust exactly. each other and they're willing to risk their own livelihood and their own yeah. well being for their friends, and that's just yeah, cool progress. Like it's a it's a cool progression of her character, absolutely, which I love. You know, they have a good exchange and where <laughs> she you know, tells him that next time you got to call me because you get less busted up when I'm around. And he says, that's true. And he puts his hand over hers and says, thanks, Murph. <laughs> and this is her tough guy facade where she says, you're going to make me puke, Dresden. <laughs> um, so maybe it was, maybe she is the bad influence on Harry. Right. Um, you know, it all gets tied up neatly. Rudy's out of SI. We get a letter from Sonya that says he had cancer and was dying. We get Harry gets a uh, what's it called? Anna Valmont left Harry's mm-hmm. coat at the dry cleaners with the Beatles yes. keys in the pocket. Kind of tied up. And I love and a bill for a parking garage. Yes. <laughs> her, her generosity only goes her gra- gratitude only goes so far. I love it. 
Um, you know, and like I said, it, it seems like we're going to just tie it up nicely, nice and neatly with a bow and move on from this one. And he puts in a phone call to the number that Susan left him, you know, tells him that when they beat Nicodemus, he killed Shiro or they didn't beat Nicodemus. I guess they got away from Nicodemus. Yeah. Which is fair. And, you know, we find out that basically Martin grabbed an unconscious Susan, threw her on a plane and headed home just to get out of there. And she was not aware about his plan to kill Ortega. Mm -hmm. He used her for cover for his movements, which is something we see in real life. A lot of these types of things you'll move as couples because it's you, you you stand out a little bit less. Um, yeah, and that's certainly something the fellowship leans into. That's why they're partners. Um, you get a letter, a lawsuit from Larry Fowler. It is still kind of funny though. It is where he's a skeptic. He doesn't think Harry, what Harry does is real, but also somebody has got to pay for the shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which I love. Yes. And uh, we find out Ortega's back at Casa Verde, probably recovering and he's going to be fine. He has sent out the word that he's going to kill Harry personally, which he just tried to do. So I'm not really sure. Yeah. You know, if we should be scared, he failed at that, should we be scared of that or, or, or not. Uh, and Harry says, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. You see the subtle humor? Vampires? Cross? <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. But I love that he points out his dumb jokes. Oh, of course. And she, she says, damn, I have to go. Saving nuns and orphans? Leaping tall buildings in a single bound? I should probably put on some underwear. <laughs> and uh, he says she jokes around more than she used to. And, you know, we've talked about how Harry deals with these things. And she says, I'm dealing with lots of scary things. I think you have to react to them. And you either laugh at them or you go insane or you become like Martin shut off from everything and everyone try not to feel. Mm-hmm. So you joke. I learned it from you. I should open a school. Maybe so. <laughs> I love you, Harry. I wish things were different. And, um, mm. yeah, she says, if you ever need my help, get in touch only if I need your help. Yeah. Goodbye, Harry. Goodbye. And that was the end of that. Sad Rodrin noises. <laughs> <laughs> Ebenezer wakes him up again. Stop calling him early in the day. Like This is our brother, Miles. Seriously. Our brother, Miles. God love him. Ha- lives his life on a different schedule than me. Mm-hmm. And I do not remember the last time he's called me after 8 a.m. And when I was driving into work <laughs> and it happened, I would answer it. Say, I'm driving into work. Most days I throw the phone across the room just and try to get it out the window to stop making noises at me. <laughs> but he, one day, God love him. One day you'll figure it out. Hi, <laughs> But Ebenezer tells him he should watch the news. So he goes down to a diner to watch the news. And we see that a Soviet communications satellites <laughs> decayed in orbit and fell to earth. And by some strange number of coincidences, it landed just outside the village of Casa Verde in Honduras. Seems to have smashed a manor. And everyone in there is expected 
to be found mm. dead. Big old, big old divot in the earth. Yeah. <laughs> Fill it in with sand. He decided that maybe he wasn't sorry. Asteroid Dresden turned out to be an old Soviet satellite after all. And he made a mental note to never get on Ebenezer's bad side, which there's some interesting things to unpack there. Then he tracks down Marcone, which is cool. He has you know some subterfuge. He borrows Michael's truck. He follows him around. Marcone ends up you know zigzagging his way and trying to make sure he's not followed. And he goes to a private long-term care facility in Wisconsin. He takes a backpack out of the car and heads inside. And Harry looks in the window and we see that it is a Jane Doe patient. Just one bed, one bed in the room with the girl. The permanent letter marker letters were faded with age on the door. She wasn't old, probably in her late teens or early 20s. She wasn't on life support, but her bed covers were flawlessly unwrinkled. I just like that sentence to like, makes it very clear where we're at. She's in a coma and we see Marcone pull down the, the covers, put the shroud over her, pull them back up. And we see him praying and he says the word please over and over. Um, you know, he gets a teddy bear and reads to her. This is a side of Marcone we have never seen anything mm-hmm. similar to, which I love. And it's heartbreaking in its own way. He picks up the teddy bear and the book, kisses her on the head and leaves the room. And as he gets into the parking lot and he sees Harry, you know, he asks, how'd you find me? It wasn't easy. Like, and he, he goes through his head that he thinks about killing Harry right there just so that he doesn't a, take the shroud. But the fact that e. Harry knows that, I just think it's great. Oh, yeah. they These guys know each other so well. There's, there's a wonderful TikTok creator, Emily, is the Emperor, Emperor of Ark is their handle. And absolutely an incredible uh, follow. If you are not worried about spoilers, there are tons of spoilers on there. So, Lissy, you are not allowed. <laughs> but just one of, one of their main recurring thoughts is they ship Harry and... Marcone. And it's, there really is a lot of textual evidence here, but how well they know each other and they just share one brain cell, the two of them. Um, <laughs> it is really funny. And moments like these just make me really think of that shipping. Uh, so mm-hmm. Emperor of Arc, great follow on TikTok if you're a Dresden person. Highly recommend. But again, very spoiler heavy. Beyond that, we saw, we saw this, right? We, we've, we've met this mm-hmm. girl before. Have we? In the soul gaze. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And way back in the first couple chapters of Stormfront, where, you know, he has this, I mean, we didn't meet her necessarily, but she, there was a a section. She's been introduced to us. Yeah. There was a section of his brain that was, that was driving him to be as ruthless as he was. And kind of part of what gave him the, the will to push on and, it's this, right? I mean, this this girl is someone that he damaged and wants something that he can't fix. And when mm-hmm. you have all the money and power in the world, you can fix most things and you can't fix this. And he tells him, you know, if he asks if she's yours and he doesn't answer, but he says, I'll kill you. Basically, if anything happens, she'll be in danger and I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And so what Harry tells him is that you can keep the shroud for three days it's a magical number. Mm-hmm. It's how long Christ was supposedly wrapped in it. And then you return the shroud in plain brown wrapping 
to Father Fort Hill at St. Mary's of the Angels. No, 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 nothing. And I like this as well, where he's, where Marcone is so cynical that what he would do in this scenario is if someone didn't do what he said, he would expose her. Yeah. And so he thinks that every accusation is an admission, you know? Mm-hmm. And he says, if you don't, you'll expose her. And Harry says, no, I wouldn't do that. I'll take it up with you. When he met Marconi, he tricked him into a soul gaze. But there's a secret that gives him this will and inner strength mm-hmm. to be so practical and deadly. And now Harry knows what it is. And he said, you know, it doesn't change anything. His good intentions could pave a new lane on the road to hell. But damn it, I couldn't hate him anymore. Hate was simpler, but the world ain't yeah. a simple place. Yep. I like all of that. Then we have Sonya's going away party. They're just doing a cookout at the Carpenter residence. And there's a lot of good stuff. Yes. <laughs> fucking Molly. When, She's spectacular. When Harry was in the treehouse, among other things, he dropped the receipt or the note, rather, his to-do list that included getting more tobacco. Prince Albert in a can, if you will. And so Molly has Sonia calling all the stores asking if they have Prince Albert in a can. And he's such a kind soul that he wants to help her out and find out if any of these stores have Prince Albert in a can. And I love that. Oh, she's so mean. It's just Poor so Sonya. cute though. It is. Oh, it's adorable. And her like giggling and saying, that's so, they, they hung up again. That's so weird. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Just having a good time. It's spectacular, So though. funny. And that may actually be too novel of a scene for some of the younger Dresdeners, but yeah. it's an old, famous prank call where you would say, mm-hmm. do you have Prince Albert in a can? Yeah. Well, then you should let him out. But along the lines of, is your refrigerator running? Well, then you better Same catch again. it. You better go and, you better go and catch it. Uh, just so dumb, but wonderful. There's a reason why the classics are classics, you know? Yep. <laughs> and then it, just as we think everything's going to be wrapped up, all neat neat and tidy and nice and cozy, Oof. little Harry is toddling around the side yard. And we hear a car and a shiny little thing clinks around right at his, in the grass right by little Harry. And as he heads heads over for it, our Harry, Bill, panics and reaches out and slaps his hand down over a polished silver coin before the child could pick it up. He felt a prickling jolt shoot up his arm, had the sudden intangible impression that someone nearby was waking up from a nap and stretching. He looks to the street and sees Nicodemus with the window rolled down and he says... Be seeing you, Dresden. He looks down and sees Lashiel's blackened sigil laying before his eyes. He he slips it in his pocket, does the old Irish exit, and dips from the party (laughs) without saying goodbye. He goes downstairs into the lab, spends a couple hours digging a big old hole. He drops the coin in the hole, slips a steel ring around it, dumps two buckets of cement into the hole, which now breaks the circle. (laughs) Yes. But I digress. Smooths it out until it's level with the rest of the floor. And he hurries out. He settles down on the couch. Mr. Hops up and he stares at Shiro's cane 
and says that he, he said that I must live in a world of grays, but to trust my heart. I love that. And I remember when Susan picked up Philokius, mm-hmm. she said it sucks, right? There was a zap. Yeah. He goes and he picks up the cane. We see no zap, just the power whispering against his fingertips, which suggests something. Certainly, mm-hmm. right? That, that dichotomy there. And yeah. there's a single Japanese character carved into the sheath. He asks Bob and it says, Faith, because Fidelakius is the sword of faith, but he puts it down. And says, All you can do is keep keeping on and try to believe that tomorrow will be what it should be, even if it isn't what you expected. He takes all of Susan's pictures and postcards and rings and accoutrements down and he puts them in the closet. He lays the old man's cane sword where it in their place and he echoes the opening lines of the novel with maybe some things just aren't meant to go together things like oil and water orange juice and toothpaste me and susan but tomorrow was another day his scarlet o'hara moment i will not go hungry again tomorrow is another day so yeah Let's uh, pop to analysis and kind of go through it chapter by chapter, but I definitely want to hear your thoughts. Definitely. So, what did you think? Obviously, you started with the duel. Yes. Any thoughts on that? Well, we talked about it, how, you know, about how we, I do think it is a, it's a necessary part of the mm-hmm. Of the story. It, it does really move it forward. It does what we need. And also it, it kind of gives us, while Kincaid is a hired hand, he is very protective of Ivy. Absolutely. And I really love that. And we saw that earlier. Yeah, we see see more more father figure type, all, almost father figure, not quite. But. Exactly. And I also love how, you know, he says that you can have the cookies. <laughs> it's just so cute. It is lovely. Um, and also my... Um, one of my ideas, you know, who could, should get, I think Kincaid should be the one who gets Shiro's sword because he seems like the right guy for the job. Oh. Um, don't say that now. No, no, don't say that now. Okay. You gotta say that as crackpot theory. No, that's not my crackpot theory. There's more. More crackpot than that? I love it. All right. Yeah. I dig it. There's some, I, there's some, there's some crackpot things happening right now. Okay. No, that's that's interesting. Yeah. No, because we've seen the sword interact differently with different people. And exactly. we haven't seen it with him, obviously, yet, but that's, I like that. That's a good line. It's, I just, I, he has, he, he is the, the good guy, the true good guy and all of that where he might be hired, but he still is, you know, the force of light, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, the other element, we figured out where everybody, where everybody is with um, the locations of said duel. Did we? We kind of did. We think they're on the, um, Infield grass. Oh, yeah. Everyone's definitely on the infield grass, for sure. Yeah. And what was the other? Oh, and then the Mordite and Nicodemus' shadows. That was just something. That was just an observation. Oh, yeah. That was that was interesting. I, li- I like that that connection there of... Um, I feel like there has to be some sort of connection. Andurial. Oh, that's his... Yeah, Andur- Andurial. Yeah, I want to say Andario, Andariel with an A, but that's actually boss from Diablo 2 and Diablo 4. Oh, okay. So probably not. Well, they're the same. They're on the same team. But and awesome. Dariel is somebody's. She's a lesser evil. Um, Anduriel is the fallen angel. 
that, okay. that is wielded, who, you know, exists in the coin wielded by Nicodemus. So even though we never see him change form, he is currently, that's his, that's currently his body. and constantly wielding a coin. So just be aware, gotcha. he absolutely is. He's not just a dude hanging out with Denarians. He is a Denarian as well. Himself. Yeah, that's what I figured. He just has been for so long and he has such power. It was interesting how it went down. Again, we see Thomas more involved than he probably should be. Yeah. Do you have any, any thoughts? Did I ask you already why you think he's helping? I feel like it's a combination of things where he is, he's white court which are, they seem to be less baddie is they're less dangerous than the red court. But also I think it might be a fuck you to his father. Okay. We've, a wee bit. we've all been there. <laughs> okay. And then anything with, with the stuff at the airport? Just the, I love a good guy. Marcone. Absolutely love him. Yeah. Marcone. Good guy stuff. Remember I, I, I was struggling last week and this kind of explains partly why I struggle to call mm. him an antagonist. He is an antagonist. He, yeah, he, his, designs are usually opposed you know he's a diametrically opposed foes with harry and like he's an antagonist but i don't like calling him that because it makes it sound like a bad guy and just because he does a little murder and mayhem and drug selling <laughs> um he's a bad guy but he, he is a bad guy but, is... but there's a side of him that is decidedly not that yes he is elements of a reluctant hero yeah i hate putting him into a corner you know nobody puts marconi in a corner exactly but I, I really i really do like like it when he's working with the good guys and he's and it's completely self-serving oh yeah but i still love it when he told harry like if why is harry working with them because the plague will kill a lot of people that's yeah me too <laughs> same bro yeah that's exactly why i'm doing it good guy stuff yeah <laughs> exactly it's fantastic and then their whole interaction on the train where they're just quipping because yes again very that's what they very do. rarely are either of them not running the show yeah and right now they're both this they're rosencrantz and gildenstern like <laughs> they're just hanging out having a good time while michael and nicodemus are doing the heavy lifting this is yeah. it's just funny that not they're in a they don't do that very often and so yeah. they, they just kind of end up doing what they do which is just punning and being stupid <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's terribly entertaining i really do appreciate both of them mm -hmm. immensely for sure uh the last chapter like you said, it started a little bit like too easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl, like wrapping everything up nice and t tight. Yeah. And that's why I mentioned that a couple times because I really didn't love the first half. But then it goes off the rails again and it becomes a Dresden novel again, which I love. Yes. Yeah. It's sort of, te it's a tease. Exactly. But it's not just setting up the next novel, but also it isn't neat and tidy. This shit yeah, can't no, be neat and tidy by definition of like our, our characters and where they're at and how things operate. So definitely he's got his, you know, obviously he still has his issues with Susan that he's trying to work through. He has a new uh, female in his life that he's going to have to deal with at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just kind of a cool second half. The first half of that chapter I thought was a little bit too saccharine. And then the, the second, the second half really. It balances yeah, it comes out. back and punches you in the gut again on the way out the door. Yeah. Which is nice. It's like I, I uh, do love it. in uh, Last Crusade, where she says, where uh, Indy and his dad are tied up back to back, and she comes mm -hmm. and says, "This is how we say goodbye in Austria," and she kisses Indy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the next guy says, "This is how this is how we say goodbye in Germany," and Sean Connery's like, "I like the Austrian way better," or whatever. Like just, <laughs> yeah. He's not even the one getting it's, kissed, but it's just kind of funny. Exactly. Like, you know, they come in and kiss you in the first half, and then they blast you in the face. 
exactly on the way out the door here. That's a really good, uh, really good description of it. I love it. (laughs) Oh gosh. So, uh, one thing I, I mentioned it to you, I don't even know if it was before we started recording or not. The, um, the book ending where it was the, the quote where you mentioned it was like chunk one or two where he describes Murphy as she doesn't look like a demon hunting Valkyrie. That being said, Murphy was a demon hunting, a monster hunting Valkyrie. And you said something along the lines of, I really like when he, when butcher does those bookends. Yeah. And I just, that's what it was. And I thought it was funny that he literally bookended the book with mirrored quotes with valkyrie no no yeah with mirrored quotes the some things oh some yeah, yeah. things just aren't meant to go together things like oil and water orange juice yes. and toothpaste wizards and television and then at the end it's the same line but yeah. me and susan i just thought that Which was funny so that when you mentioned that i made a note and i said i hope i remember i remember <laughs> <laughs> nice nice um it's fantastic there was though, really one is. kind of continuity error that i wanted to hop on mm-hmm. not end of the world but in the scene the duel scene with the when once whence the vampires had come out and started to fight mm-hmm. where harry said if i had my shield bracelet it'd be a lot easier but then he talks about his shield and then he says later. the shield bracelet's burning his wrist yeah it's just not ideal um beyond i, I noticed that yeah <laughs> but neither of us mentioned it because it didn't come up <laughs> Uh, any other thoughts on lore or questions or ideas? I think so. Um, I have a crackpot theory, but everything else we kind of discussed as we went along. Yikes. All right. What about uh, yikes? I didn't really have that many like yikes. You know? Yeah. Like- I mean, my only one was him saying like, oh, I'm glad you weren't there to see it because beating up bad guys is not for girls. Yeah. Um, Which was dumb. And, you know, they lampshaded it by him saying it was Murphy's fault. Again, that's not the end of the world by any means. That Mm. is his character flaw. And that's that's the right way to do his character flaw, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I agree. But yeah, definitely nothing too bad. Yeah. He had Molly in the novel and she and there was nothing sexual about her there's progress there that's good that's good so uh beyond that uh pretty solid stuff which uh yeah. leads us right into it you you already have one with kincaid that doesn't even make you know crack the mark for your crackpot theory of the week it, so now i really gotta know what? what else it doesn't make the list for your actual crackpot theory that's just a side kind of, i have one. Oh yeah right no now. that's just a side note yeah hundred percent. Just as I know. So tell us then, what is, what do you have for today's actual focus? Number one, crackpot theory of the week. So this is about Marcone. We love my Marcone crackpot theories. I don't know who the girl is to him, but she was hurt by magic. She was hurt by something supernatural. And that is why he knows so much about it because he's, he wants revenge and he wants to fix it. Oh, I like it. So that's my, I, it is a pretty crackpot theory, but it's my, no, that's cone, great. I my cone it. theory. Those are the kind I like. We do need you to take a look at the covers and oh, read yes. the first, and read the first paragraph or two yes. of next week of next novel. We're going to start with the first chunk of blood rights next week. And so as we've started doing here with our last, let me get the Google machine up. 
our last episode, our last chunk of each episode. Ooh, you went away. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay. All right. So, hellhounds. Leah's involved. Um, blood okay. rights. I mean, that's that. It's in the picture. He's got the hat on again, which is hilarious. Um, but I think Leah's involved. Blood rights has got to be with something along the lines of. I mean, Nicodemus might come back with the blood blood rights shit in that. Um, but yeah, somebody's they got to kill somebody or get somebody's blood to make something happen. Okay. Certainly seems magic-y, using you know. the blood, the yeah. lifeblood. The lifeblood of someone, uh, and Absolutely. Lee is involved, because those, those be hellhounds. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Um, then could you do a very special and important podcast was on fire reading of the first couple pages here, or first, first couple of sentences here? Right now? Yeah, we always do that. Okay. That's supposed to ha- that's supposed to help you see if you have anything to figure out on it. Also, oh, but mostly, I just want you to finally read these goddamn words out of a paper. <laughs> the building was on fire, and it wasn't my fault. My boots, <laughs> my boots slipped and slid on the tile floor as I sprinted around the corner and toward the exit doors to the abandoned school building on the southwest edge of Chicagoland. Distant streetlights provided the only light in the dusty hall and left huge swaths of blackness crouching in the old classroom. That's fantastic. <laughs> that is such a good way to open a novel. And yes. that is why our podcast is named what our podcast is. I think it's fantastic. All right. So what chapters are we going to go for, sir? Let's go. Let's go through six. I think five might be a more natural place to end, but let's do six. Okay. And then if need be, we'll cut back. But um, just to get us get us in there and going. And um, I'm excited for it. Like I said, I, I've been waiting for you to read those words for so long, just so you know why our podcast is named this. There's no deeper meaning to it. It's just build, buildings are on fire around Harry a lot. And this yes. time, this time, it's not his fault. Right. So that's fantastic. Looking forward to that. And yeah, we're five novels in, which is crazy. Feels like we just started this thing yesterday. Seriously, it's been six months. Wow. Oh, you're right. That's insane. All right. Well, as always, I want to thank all of you guys for putting up with Lissy. She doesn't do a great job, but I do my best to carry her along. Um, hi, kid. Thank you guys for being around and the subscribers and the people who listen all the time and tell their friends. And tell their enemies because they think it'd be funny if their enemy listened to such a bad podcast. Hey, now. I agree. They're weird. Lissy, we don't like them. But it's still, the numbers count. All the numbers count. Uh, <laughs> I, we got all the, uh, the podcasts on fire and all the things. And yeah. Oh, I'm going to do a Threads. Threads? Is that the new one? I haven't done it yet. But the, yes. new, the new one. Just anything. Yes. Anything. I mean, not. Yeah, because Meta is such a great, wholesome company, you know? <laughs> but still, get away from Twitter is always a good thing. But uh, we're on TikTok once in a while. We're on all the things. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com is a yes. great way to get in touch with us. But um, I just appreciate you guys listening and learn teaching, not learning. We're the learners. But uh, y'all have a great, wonderful, spectacular weekend. Hopefully, by the time I talk to you next, I will have had a wonderful tournament. And I didn't get fired and I didn't yell at any punch any children That's and true. or referees. 
more, <laughs> more likely to punch a referee than a child, probably. But you never know. You never know. Goodness gracious. So <laughs> I appreciate you, Alyssa. I appreciate you all on the other end of this podcast. And beyond that, I am quite delighted that I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Focus music. I'm currently like on a seat that's too low for a keyboard. Oh. So like I'm reaching up. Oh, that's annoying. And I'm also not a touch type kind of guy. I have a good, pretty good idea where everything is. But so I'm trying to copy paste and sometimes it just doesn't work either way. Um,